Well, Merry Christmas, church. Today we conclude our sermon series on the church where we've been looking at various metaphors of the church. Uh, for instance, the church being the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the priesthood of God. And today we look at the church being like a city on a hill that shines the light of the gospel into this world. Our passage is short. It's Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. It falls early on in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's right after the Beatitudes where Jesus describes the upside-down character of his kingdom and of his followers. And add to that, there will be persecutions coming to all Christians on account of his name. And then Jesus shifts from the character of his followers, the church, to the effect of the church upon this world. And first he says that we are the salt of the earth which basically means that we are to preserve uh, and to enhance the flavor upon this earth. And then Jesus says something amazing. It's in our passage. He says, you are the light of the world. You, disciples, and all, all who come to faith in me in years ahead, including us here today, Grace Church, you, Jesus said, are the light of the world. What could this mean? What does it look like in our lives? And how must this encourage us this morning? Let's look. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word to us. We thank you, um, Jesus, that you're the light of the world, and you press into our lives your very light. This changes everything. Help us to ponder afresh um, what you've done for us, and what we get to do with great joy and delight, we pray. Amen. You know, pretty much every year on the East End, we get a hurricane warning, right, or some sort of snow blizzard warning. And what does everybody do? Everyone runs to the store, and they stock up on bread and milk and candles and batteries and, of course, uh, toilet paper. Uh, how many of you are like me? You, you, at home, you've got like half a dozen flashlights that don't work. You even put like new batteries in them, and they still don't work. I think there's some sort of collusion there between the makers of flashlights and the battery people. But it's crazy. But when the power's out, we need a source of light, right? Because living in the dark isn't just scary at times. Uh, it can be dangerous. And it shouldn't surprise us either that light and darkness are used all the time to describe existential and spiritual realities. We describe a time in our lives when life crumbled in on us as a season of darkness. In the Star Wars movies, Luke Skywalker is warned not to give in and join the dark side like his father before him. In our passage, Jesus is using physical light to describe the effects of the spiritual light of the gospel into this world. And so when Jesus speaks to his followers and describes what life will be like for them, he says that they will be like a city on a hill that shines 
light into this world. Jesus intends for his church, that's the church with the capital C, scattered all throughout the world, it's to be a city on a hill, which means Grace Presbyterian Church, we have that calling locally. We are to be a city on a hill that shines the light of the gospel into the east end of Long Island. And please listen to this, understand this. To the degree to which we understand this calling from Jesus, to the degree we delight in being a city on a hill, is the degree to which Long Island will be awakened to the glory of Jesus Christ, which is, by the way, our vision. Listen, if we take anything from what we're about to study, let it be this. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, what a glorious thing to ponder, right? What a wonderful and glorious thing it is to be a Christian. Somehow, in some way, we are the light of the world. <laughs> may this enliven our souls today. So let's dig into Jesus' words so that we may embrace who we are and what we're called to do. The big point here is that as a city on a hill, we are to shine the light of, into the world. We're to shine our light before others. We're going to break up our time into three headings. First, the need for light, and then the source of light, and lastly, the effect of light. First, the need for light. The world is in darkness and in need of light. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he is stating something obvious and something not so obvious. I'm going to split our time in this point under those headings, the obvious and the not so obvious. The obvious point is, if we are the light of the world, then the world must be in darkness, right? And it's obvious that the world is in a dark place. It's been this way for centuries. You know, this past summer, we had that Ecclesiastes sermon series, and we studied that, that the world does have much in it to enjoy, but at the center of our lives is this ever-present reality that life is short and then you die. Just this morning, uh, one of our members shared with me that he's got this tick-borne illness. Some of you as well have it. It's alpha-gale or whatever. It means you can't eat like meat, like, you know, for me, that would be like the most horrible thing in the world. But some of you guys are going through that. Anything with mammary glands or whatever, you cannot eat. You can eat chicken, but no, no meat. Very simple way that darkness has entered into this world, ticks. On a more serious note, just this past week, one of my best friends from high school, his stepson was on a first date with a woman when her ex-boyfriend showed up and shot her dead as she hid behind a Christmas tree and then approached him and shot him in the back of the head execution style. He's fighting for his life in intensive care. On top of that, the guy who was shot, his ex-wife, shut down the GoFundMe page because she wasn't getting the money. We live in a dark world and my friend and his wife are in need of much light. Thankfully, he knows the Lord. He has come to faith in Christ. But is it not true that there are times in our lives that are so dark that the light of the gospel seems so distant and dim, right? At some level, we all know that the world is dark. That is the obvious truth. Now, now for the not-so-obvious point. Listen to this, guys. Try, try to fathom this. Christians are the only ones with the light 
that can remedy this world's darkness. That's a bold statement. But that's the not-so-obvious point that Jesus is making here. Jesus says, you, you are the light of the world. Now, for most people in this world, Jesus' words are ridiculous and offensive. Most people believe two things, that the world isn't as bad as it seems, and that humanity has the resources on its own in order to fix the darkness. Perhaps the greatest experiment into this is what we know as the Enlightenment. What an ironic name. In the 17th century, there was a revival that gave itself the name Enlightenment. Descartes' dictum, I think, therefore I am, removed the necessity of God for making sense in this world. Enlightenment thinkers confidently believed that man was able to achieve on his own all that would create light and illuminate this world and, and fix everything. And it is true, some amazing achievements in science and society took place during the Enlightenment. The genius uh, Sir Isaac Newton brought great advances in math and physics and what Descartes brought to philosophy and Newton brought to the hard science. Others like Adam Smith and John Locke brought to economics and, and government. There was, there was much light being generated by human beings. And with this much light that is being generated, there was great hope for the future. The thankfully forgotten song from the band Timbuk3 would have been uh, applied well to the Enlightenment age. Yeah, the future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. I'm sorry if I got that stuck in your head. I'm, I know somebody's gonna... Hannah, Hannah Faye, can you play another song? There we go. The Enlightenment age relegated God to non-essential status. If there is a God, we don't need him. We've got this. It's just a matter of time. Now, many people still believe this today, that mankind is able to produce the light needed to overcome the darkness in this world. Now, if you hold to that view, let me give you two reasons to reject placing your hope in mankind, fixing the darkness of this world. The first is the failure of the Enlightenment, in particular, World War II. You know, after World War I, there was such great Enlightenment-induced hopefulness for the world. The League of Nations was formed. The League of... You don't know what that is. Okay. They would figure out what was wrong with the world and make sure it never happened again. And so... They called World War I, what? The war to end all wars, which was great until along came World War II. See, the secular humanists in Europe and in England thought that they could just use their enlightened intellect to triumph over the darkness, and they failed. In his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Martin Lloyd-Jones reflects upon the two of the brightest humanist thinkers in the mid-1900s, Dr. Julian Huxley and Professor Gilbert Murray. He, he was there for a couple of their lectures by these renowned Enlightenment thinkers. And, and, and in these lectures, these men confessed that, that, what, that they were baffled as to what was really wrong with the world. And they confessed that they couldn't even begin to offer any sort of remedy. In fact, Gilbert confessed that he he could not explain the Second World War and the failings of the League of Nations. So that's the first reason. The belief that mankind has the light in himself to understand and remedy this world, it is a myth. We cannot do it. The second reason for rejecting the belief that humanity 
has the light within itself, uh, is that what Scripture describes. Scripture describes God as being the only one who can shine light into this dark world. And when you think about it, where did physical light come from? In the beginning, God created. He created physical light. And God created human beings in his image with great glory. And yet scripture describes how mankind turned from God and caused darkness to pervade, but not just in the world in which we live, but it has caused each and every human being to be born with the darkness within us. In John's gospel in chapter 3, right after Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Right after that, he said these words, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What a remarkable reality. The world actually prefers darkness. See, the last thing fallen human beings want to do is acknowledge that the problem really is a spiritual problem inside them. It's inside us. So they rail against the darkness. I'm not dark. It's everybody else in this world, but it's not me. So the world is dark. And mankind, though we like to think that we can create light, we need to overcome the darkness. We're fooling ourselves, which makes Jesus' statement so profound. He says, you, my people, are the light of the world. Think about it. We here today, along with the whole church throughout all of history, we are the light of the world. Talk about not-so-obvious point, right? The most unlikely people of all somehow have the solution to the darkness around us. So that's the need, the need of light. Now for the source of light. The big idea here is this. The source of light is Jesus Christ manifested in and through God's people, the church. As we think of this truth, a question comes to mind. How is this true of us? How is it that we can actually be the light of the world? It's because the same Jesus who said, you are the light of the world, also said, I am the light of the world. And these two statements must be taken together. Here's what Jesus said in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus calls people to come to him. He's welcoming people to come out of darkness, to come to his light and follow him. He is the light of the world. And when Jesus comes into your life, listen, his life comes into you to dwell in you. And it produces and bears great fruit. The light of life and glory in this world comes to reside in his very people. And that is us. This is you. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 5.8, he, he describes what, what a great trauma, uh, uh, transition this is for us. For at one time you were darkness. This is Ephesians 5.8. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Paul is saying that before Christ came into our lives, we weren't just influenced by darkness. We were dark. But now by God's grace, we are light. We're not just influenced by it. 
We are light. Have you ever thought of your salvation that way? Because Christ is in us. His divine light of life is in us. That, my friends, is how Jesus can say, you are the light of the world. We, the deeply flawed but dearly loved church of Christ, is a city on a hill that shines the light of Christ into this dark world. You are the light of the world. Listen, the world will be blessed through you. There is no other hope for the world. God has no plan B for bringing light into this darkness. You can't look to your neighbor and hope they will be a light. You are the light. Do you understand this? We may have doubts, may lack a little confidence, but our Lord doesn't doubt. Jesus sees us this way. Do you? This leads to our last point, the effect. When my mother comes to visit us, um, she's in her room that we have for her. There's these special blinds uh, that block out all of the light, but that is not enough. My mother needs absolute darkness in order to sleep. And so you know how you know, those electronic devices in your room, like your TV or the cable box, that they have that little red light that turns on when the device is off? Well, I have to put tape over those things. See, even the tiniest of light can have an effect. Jesus uses physical light to describe spiritual light just as the tiniest amount of light can transform a dark room, so too the smallest amount of spiritual light can transform the world around us. Jesus says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden, and it's true. Today there's just so much light pollution, you know, there's light is filtering from every little city municipality, and we really don't know what pitch dark is like, right? But back in Jesus' day, there was a cloudy night, it was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. But if there was a city on a hill, its light would filter down before you. Maybe not much light, but light enough so as not to stumble in the dark. We are the church scattered throughout the world. We are the light. And Jesus calls us to shine. And he cautions his followers, though, to not hide his light in us under a basket. Verse 14, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Oh, that just doesn't make any sense. But on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Just as a simple candle in a dark room provides enough light for people to see, so too every Christian has light enough in him or her to shine into their surroundings. And just as it would be foolish to light a candle and hide it under a basket, so too it is unthinkable that a Christian with with the light of Christ in his or her life would hide it. Sadly, there have been Christians over the centuries who have separated and withdrawn from society. Think about the early hermits. I should do, maybe get an early church history book and read on some of these hermits, the stuff that they would do. It's just kind of crazy. Or think monks or nuns hiding their lights under baskets in their monasteries. 
And many Christians today separate from society. They only want to hang out with other Christians. This is not what Jesus had in mind. See, when he says, when, when his light is alive in us, he wants it to shine into this world so that others in darkness may see the light and enter his kingdom. This is missional, right? This is a missional purpose for us being light. Here's what Jesus said in John 12, 46. He said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. This is the heart of our Lord. Is it our heart too? Jesus says we're the light this world needs. See, see, when we delight in what Jesus is saying, he uses us to change the world. This is his great plan. We see it in verse 14. In verse 14, Jesus says what is true. We've already seen this. You are the light of the world. And in verse 16, he says what we are to do because this is true. Because you are the light of the world, verse 16, let your light shine before others. It's a command. It's an imperative. See, Jesus knows that just as physical light brings hope to a dark room, so even more so his light brings hope into a spiritually dark world. Listen, Jesus places light in us so that we would shine before others. And when we shine as a city on a hill, here's the effect, verse 16. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First off, they see our good works, and they don't pat us on the back. They know who to give the glory to. It's Christ in us. They give glory to our Father in heaven. But another truth is this. As we become more and more transformed by the truth and this light of the gospel, it will change us. We will bear much fruit. We will become more like Christ. We will be patient when others normally complain. We will turn the other cheek when others normally raise their fist. We will offer grace when the world expects a battle. When we live out the light of Christ in our lives, it will have two effects. First, we will expose the darkness around us so that people may even become uncomfortable with us. And second, people will see our light and desire to have it for themselves. Both of these responses give glory to our Father in heaven. First, our light exposes the darkness around us. Now, this happens to me all the time, and I'm sure, like all of you, as you're walking in the light, you have experiences like this. It typically goes like this. I'm at some gathering. I've met some new dude friends, and we're hanging out, and we're talking, and they're cussing away and telling crude jokes, and inevitably, someone will say, so, Mark, what do you do? There's times when I'd like to say literally, um, thanks for asking. I'm a retired pig farmer. <laughs> Instead, I say, I'm a minister, and you should see the looks on their faces. They backpedal. They try to, in their mind, I can see, what exactly did I say? <laughs> and then they'll apologize. I'm sorry for cussing. See, people who walk in darkness invariably have a sense of shame in the presence of the light of Christ. That's why the religious leaders in Jesus' day had him killed. Think about it. 
His pure light exposed them as frauds. And instead of using the light of Christ to come to Christ, they killed him instead. Which is why we sing those words in the hymn, In Christ Alone, There in the ground his body lay, Light of the world by darkness slain. The light of Christ in us exposes other people's shame. It's why some of you have friends who no longer call to hang out with you, but you should still pursue them. They sense something good in you, and they don't like how the light exposes their sin. Now, a quick point of application. I know far too many Christian men who feel at such liberty to cuss with their unbelieving friends. They think it helps them to, to be considered just another one of the guys. I'm building a bridge. If this describes you, please allow what we're studying today to cause you to think that through. Listen, you are not one of the guys. You are a child of God in whom the light of the gospel is shining. Do not hide that under a basket of cussing. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell for cussing. I'm just saying, don't you want to be a light? Lift the basket off of your life and let the light of Christ shine out. Enough on that. But you get my point. The world around us notices the light in us. And it actually brings glory to our Father in heaven. And their knee-jerk reaction is to feel shame. And guess what? We need to be okay with that. Are you okay with that? Also, when we were letting our light, Christ's light, shine before others, some will actually see our good works and not run away, but instead, because they genuinely like you and respect you, though you're an enigma to them, they become perplexed by the light and they don't turn away, but they begin to draw nearer and nearer. Listen, this is how we all came into the light. Baby steps in the right direction. More light, more truth, more light, more belief. And then one day that light bulb switches on and faith becomes real. And the light of the world by darkness slain becomes your greatest hope and love. Yeah, I'd like to suggest that this happens more in our life than we realize. When people hear that you're a Christian, they begin watching. First, hoping to prove that you're a hypocrite. But then after a while, your light cannot be ignored for what it is. Something divine and good that they admittedly know nothing about but wish they did. Just this past week at Grace Church, we had a number of these light shining stories. Daniel Barton shared some in her prayer request this week. But I got permission from the following two people to share their stories. This past week, Jason Kohler shared in our Grace group that his 20-person design team right across the street uh, had an end-of-year dinner party to celebrate a great year, a magnificent year. It was a lavish dinner. But before the meal began, something amazing took place. Jason's boss asked him to pray. What? 
Now, my understanding is that Jason is the only professing Christian at that firm. And my guess is that if Jason wasn't there, no one would have been asked to pray. (laughs) This also indicates that in Jason, he, they saw the light of Christ. And they knew the right thing to do at a meal in which people celebrated blessings is to in some way give thanks to the God who gives all blessings. Jason said a prayer And like Jesus says, glory was given to our Father in heaven. And listen, I also believe that if Jason was just one of the guys always cussing and telling crude jokes and whatever else, they would have not thought him to be the right guy to pray. He never would have been asked. But listen, Jason is spiritually mature beyond his years, and he is kind, he is patient, he is encouraging, he is loving. Also this week, Sharon Kerr had a staffer from her beach club, someone she has known for years. Leslie and I have met him and his wife as well. But this man's wife died of cancer right before Thanksgiving. And what caused tears of joy to well up in Sharon's eyes is that of all the people to call for help, he called her. He wishes to have a memorial service for his wife, but he doesn't go to church. So he asked Sharon for help. Over the years, he has seen the light of Christ in Sharon. Oh, Sharon may have tiptoed her faith through that secular beach club, but she no doubt didn't think she was making a big impact as she has. But there it was, the light of Christ shining out of Sharon. And when life became unbearably dark for this man, he turned to the only source of light in his life, Sharon. And in his time of deep distress, she became a means of God's grace in his life. I called this man on Friday. Um, We're meeting this week to discuss the memorial service. But he also asked for help in processing his grief. May the light of Christ become the light of life in his soul. So here we are, Grace Church. We are a city on a hill. Yeah, I know, there's no hills on the east end of Long Island, but you get Jesus' point. Because Jesus alone is the light of the world and he has given us himself, we are to shine our light into this dark world. We live as light in a dark world. Listen, there are thousands of people out here on the East End, and they are living in darkness. And they will never find their way to God without us. Do you have eyes to see this truth? Will you acknowledge this call and receive it with joy? I want to end with a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Though he preached this over 50 years ago in England, his words still ring true for us today here on the East End. Here's what he says. Christian people, you and I are living in the midst of men and women who are in a state of gross darkness They will never have any light anywhere in this world except from you and from me and the gospel we believe and teach. 
they are watching us? Do they see something different about us? Are our lives a silent rebuke of them? Do we so live as to lead them to come and ask us, why do you always look so peaceful? How is it that you are so balanced? How can you stand up to things as you do? Why is it you're not dependent upon artificial aids and pleasures as we are? What is this thing that you have got? If they do, we can tell them that wondrous, amazing, but tragically neglected news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and to give men and women a new nature and a new life and to make them children of God. Christian people alone are the light of the world today. Let us live and function as children of the light. Let's pray. Father, we have a glorious reality that you have implanted in us. We are no longer dark. We have been made light by this wondrous gospel. We don't deserve it, and yes, it's true. It's true of us. May we see ourselves as light in this world. May we rebuke um, all, all temptations to, to return to the darkness. May we live with great joy and love and care for others. May we shepherd people in our spheres of influence. May we care for their souls well. May we live in holiness so that others may see the light in us and we can lead them to you, Jesus, we pray. Um, we cannot do this without you, without your spirit, and without your leading. And we look forward to seeing this bear more and more fruit through Grace Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.